Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Warenga and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we take a look at the draw for the African qualifiers for the 2026 FIFA World Cup with some very tough groups. Also, with the Women's World Cup a few days away, we assess the chances of Nigeria and Zambia. Also, we speak to Nigeria Vice-Captain William Troost Ekong, who left English Championship side Watford for struggling Salernitana on loan in Italy in January. He says he enjoyed his time there. Yeah, no, I think it was uh, an amazing experience for me to come back to Italy. Um, I loved Salerno, the city. I loved the people. Um, I loved the club. Salernitana was uh, was great. Also, we got Stuart on the transfer news in the English Premier League. It's a busy show. It's a packed one. Uh, let's start with the FIFA World Cup draw then, which was made on Thursday in Ivory Coast. There are nine places for Africa at the 2026 FIFA World Cup in the USA, Canada and Mexico, uh, possibly ten places even. Uh, so there are nine groups. The group winners qualify automatically and the four best runners up go into a playoff and the winner of that uh, goes into an intercontinental playoff tournament. Uh, the qualifiers start in November. Uh, speaking at a Thursday's draw is Nigeria legend JJ Okacha. Of course it's a great news for our continent that we have potentially nine or ten nations representing us. Of, of course it gives us the opportunity to compete. Also um, Morocco have renewed our hope, you know, that it is possible for an African nation to win the World Cup. Yes, nine spots for Africa guaranteed at this 48-team World Cup. Let's take you through the groups. In Group A, there's Egypt and Burkina Faso as the two leading contenders. Uh, quite a tricky one, that. Also there, Guinea-Bissau, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia and Djibouti. Uh, group B has Senegal and DR Congo as the top two teams, along with Mauritania, Togo, Sudan and South Sudan together in the same group. Group C has Nigeria and South Africa making this one of the toughest looking groups. Benin there too with Rwanda, Lesotho and Zimbabwe. A great excitement here in Zimbabwe because the country's FIFA suspension was lifted on Monday, meaning that Zimbabwe can take part in these qualifiers with a FIFA normalisation committee set up to run the game here over the course of the next year. In Group D, there's Cameroon, Cape Verde, Angola, Libya, Eswatini and Mauritius. Group E has Morocco, Zambia, Congo, Brazzaville, Tanzania, Niger and Eritrea. Group F has Ivory Coast, Gabon, Kenya, the Gambia, Burundi and the Seychelles. In Group G, there's Algeria and Guinea drawn together, along with Uganda, Mozambique, Botswana and Somalia. Group H has Tunisia, Equatorial. Guinea, Namibia, Malawi, Liberia and Sao Tome. So Tunisia will be thinking they've got a pretty straightforward group there. Uh, not the case in Group I though, where Mali and Ghana are together in a really tough looking contest. Also there, Madagascar, Central African Republic, Comoros and Chad.
Asking on social media this week, do you think that your team will qualify for the 2026 FIFA World Cup?、Uh, all 54 African countries、uh, are in the draw and in the running.、Uh, difficult groups for some, though. Only the group winners qualify automatically. So, do you think that your team will qualify wherever you are? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven. Seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How are you feeling about the World Cup draw? Do you think that your team is going there to Canada, the USA, and Mexico? Now, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. It's less than a week away now, starting next Thursday, with Australia and New Zealand hosting, and with four African teams taking part. That's Nigeria, South Africa, Zambia, and Morocco. Let's hear from Zambia star Barbara Banda speaking to reporters in New Zealand about their 4-3 friendly win over Germany, and first how it felt to be in New Zealand. So far, so good. We are happy to be here, and、uh, everyone is safe, and、uh, we are so excited to be here. How much does that win over Germany, I guess, give this team a boost heading into the World World Cup? Well, it was a good game for us and a good preparation for the World Cup. You know, Germany is not a pushover team, but I think we really tried our our best, and、uh, I think our aim and、uh, our target as a team is to move on the first round, to go into the second round, and probably maybe go to the finals. Well, that Zambia's star forward Barbara Banda, the audio coming from the Football Association of Zambia. Uh, so, Ida, Zambia go into the Women's World Cup as a team that's grown a lot in women's football. It is their first World Cup, but they impressed at the 2020 Olympics, and、uh, that friendly win over Germany was huge. Huge, Steve. Germany are two-time world champions. Let's not forget. And then you couple that with a 3-3 draw with Switzerland, and look, this is a team that's really inspiring confidence. Everyone talks about the Copper Queens being one of Africa's fastest rising teams, and it's true. The team pretty much came from oblivion to represent Africa at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, and it was at those games when the team's star Barbara Banda made history. She became the first woman in Olympics history to score consecutive hat tricks, and well, they're showing while it wasn't the greatest. They did leave their mark, and Banda, who, by the way, is a former professional boxer, well, she shone. And this must have inspired something back home, because soon after, in 2021, their FA launched the Women's Super Division League. Now there are players from that league, Steve, who are now plying their trade internationally. You see, a strategy Zambia uses is one that's also used by countries like Kenya with its athletes. Majority of the Zambian players are employed full time by the Air Force and the Army, and then they get to play football for the two most prominent women's military clubs in Zambia, that being the Red Arrows and the Green Buffaloes. And Steve, the Copper Queens showed that it wasn't a fluke when they finished third in the Wafkan last year. 
when they beat top-ranked teams, we're talking Tunisia, Senegal, Nigeria, when they beat them all at the Wafkan in Morocco. I mean, their only defeat was by eventual tournament winner South Africa. And this is what gave them their ticket to Australia and New Zealand. And not forgetting that they won the 2022 Kosafa Women's Championship for the first time. And Banda, shown as usual, she finished as a top scorer with 10 goals and she was named player of the tournament. Yes, so Barbara Banda will certainly be Zambia's top star at the Women's World Cup. Uh, Now, last week we highlighted issues in preparations for South Africa and for Nigeria uh, related to financial issues concerning the players. Uh, Problems, too, in the Zambia camp. Right. Zambia has not been without its fair share of controversy, has to be said. I mean, it's currently grappling with sexual abuse allegations against coach Bruce Moape. Now, these allegations were reported in 2022. They're coming to light again now under the heat and the scrutiny of the Women's World Cup. And uh, some players, Steve, are allegedly also disgruntled over lack of payment of allowances. Now, it's said that the first choice goalkeeper, her name is Hazel Enali, is said to be at the forefront of this. And there have been rumors that her injury and subsequent sending back home was actually a cover up for her punishment for leading a revolt against the Federation. Steve, don't forget that their star players, Barbara Banda and Rachel Kundananji, well, they were banned from playing at the Wafkan in Morocco due to high testosterone levels. They will be taking part at the Women's World Cup. And speaking of their two star players, uh, the coach, Mwape, well, he has previously admitted to struggling to manage their egos up front. And Steve, it's only natural, you know, both players want to shine. And Kundananji, on her part, wants to get out from Banda's shadow. She's a fantastic player in her own right. You know, she plays, she plays for Madrid and she finished as the second highest goal scorer in the Spanish league with 25 goals. Steve, the Copper Queens have also struggled with inconsistency at times and, you know, not just the odd explainable loss here and there, you know, but the extremes like that 10-2 aggregate loss to South Korea in April, for example. Now, one can argue that it was just a friendly, but that sort of thumping is embarrassing on any front. So, They do have to fix the minor bugs because it's wild to think that the same team that beat two-time world champions Germany also lost to Korea by eight goals barely three months before. So they do need to bring it. It's their first World Cup and between this and the Olympics, they've hit the two biggest stones only three years apart. They're very quickly building on their global experience. And they should aim to at least get out of the group, I think. And I don't see why it's not possible if they put their minds to it. Yes, Zambia doing so well and they play Japan in their opening game on Saturday. And Nigeria will be the first African team in action. They play Canada next Friday, uh, going there as the strongest team in Africa over the years, Ida. It's a pretty strong team, Steve, but always having to overcome financial and administration issues.
I mean, we talked about the issues plaguing the team last week, so focusing more on what the team can actually do on the pitch. Well, for Nigeria, it's the total opposite of what I just said about Zambia and international experience. This level of play is very familiar for the Super Falcons, and they really should be aiming to at least either equal or maybe even better their best of a finish, which was getting to the quarters in 1999. Now, they got to the last 16 in 2019 in France, and honestly, it's a wonder how, once again, with the issues they faced, they even staged a sit-in at some point. Captain Onome Ebi, who at 40 must surely be playing at her last World Cup, well, she disclosed that the team has set a target to go past the group stage. But considering their strength, Steve, and considering their experience, it really should be more. I mean, they have an incredibly, incredibly strong team. It's a squad featuring Paris FC goalkeeper Chiamaka Nadozie, Atletico Madrid's Rashidat Ajibade, and the totally incomparable Sisat Oshoala, who recently won the UEFA Champions League with Barcelona. Yes, yeah, so what a player to have uh, in your squad. Well, thanks, Ida. Next week on the show, we'll assess the chances of South Africa and Morocco, and Morocco there for the first time. The next here on Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport to Men's Football and our interview with Nigeria Vice-Captain William Troost Ekong, who left English Championship side Watford for struggling Salernitana on loan in January in Italy and he scored his first Serie A goal with two games to go in the season. It was a stoppage time winner against his former club Udinese. Well, the latest news is that Truste Kong has now moved to Greece, uh, joining PAOK Thessaloniki. Well, he spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji on returning to Italy for that spell with her Salernitana and what that goal meant and also talked about Ballers in God, a group of Christian players who have the slogan where faith meets football, impacting the beautiful game for Jesus. Uh, here's Truste Kong. Yeah, no, I think it was uh, an amazing experience for me to come back to Italy. Um, I loved Salerno, the city. I loved the people. Um, I loved the club. Salernitana was uh, was great. Um, and yeah, of course, I was a bit unfortunate with my injury uh, shortly after I came there. Uh, but then still to be part of the team and try and help um, achieve our goal of staying in the league and the way we did it in the end, I think it was amazing. And then, uh, of course, the cherry on the cake was... Uh, the, the winner scored against my old team Udinese which also has a special place in my heart so um, yeah the only pity was that it was against Udinese but I was just very happy to uh, score my first goal in Serie A after all this time playing there um, and also contribute to uh, to helping the team win You've always said every move you make is a career move and you always plan things and things always work out well for you what do you consider when you go into a new club or when you go into taking decisions to join a new team? For me, um, it's always been my belief to try and go somewhere where I would play. I think that's my first and foremost. Um, I've always wanted to you know, gain more experience, play in the best leagues, test myself against the best players, which I could do in my capabilities. Um, so yeah, when the chance arrived for me to return to Italy after my time in England, which I loved, um, I wanted to take it. And um, yeah, we'll see what the future holds now. Um, but yeah, I think it's always my first consideration is to try to go somewhere where I can uh, play a big part in the team and test myself against the best players in the world. 
How is your relationship with um, you know your friends that you talk about faith? You do all your um, everything about God and all that. What's what what's, what's the gathering like now? Yeah, are you still winning souls? <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, you know it's it's a, it's a part of who I am. Um, it's actually expanded massively. I think there's so many players that have become part of Paul's and God, um, and my close friend John Bostic, who who is the founder of that. Uh, group, um, he's expanded even more. He's, he's, um, now also thinking about doing an agency for, for players who are Christian. Um, he has his own clothing brand. Um, yeah, this is, so it's forever expanding and it's great to see that it's a movement that is obviously touching so many professional footballers and through their platforms also so many people. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, very proud that I've, I was part of that from the start and, uh, yeah, great to see how well it's doing. Wherever you go, wherever you play, we wish you all the very best. Thank you very much. God bless. On his football and his faith, that's Nigeria Vice-Captain William Troost Ekong speaking to Aloashina Okaleji. So he moved from Watford to join a Salernitana on loan in Italy in January, uh, got to score there, and are now will be playing for PAOK Thessaloniki in Greece this coming season. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on David De Gea's departure from Manchester United. Let's go to social media. Last week we asked on the show, does God care who wins a football match? We heard from Nigeria and Southampton forward Joe Aribo on the disappointment of getting relegated with Southampton in his first season in the English Premier League. Aribo is a Christian. He told us about the disappointment and that he believes that God allowed it to happen for a reason, even though he is questioning why. So we asked if you're a believer, do you think that God minds who wins? Does he mind who the champions are? And does he mind who gets relegated? We start in Nigeria. Chimex Ubachi says that in the Bible, in Proverbs, it says that disappointment sometimes becomes a blessing. And it's happened to many in life, says Chimex. May God bless him with the best club of his desires and grant him success through Jesus Christ our Lord. Belong Baji and the Gambia says God will always hear those who seek help more than those who are just seeking success or achievements. And Sideko Suno also in the Gambia says, yeah, he's right. God is in control of everything that happens to you in life. And God does mind who wins and who the champions are and who gets relegated. And good luck to my favorite Nigerian player. Hope to see you in the Premier League next season, says Sideko. And in Liberia, Trends K. Calvin Walter at Vox Radio 95.7 in Liberia says, Yes, God cares. There's no fixed plan for life. That's the reason that good things happen to bad people and that bad things happen to good people sometimes. He makes the rain fall on the good and the evil. Rebo never expected this, but here he is now, and God will take him through these tough times of his life, says Walter. Well, thanks very much for uh, those interesting contributions. Uh, Always great to hear from you. And let's now go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. Uh, First, Stuart, uh, bring us up to speed uh, with the transfer news, with uh, lots happening, and I think uh, still a lot uh, yet to come. Well, there have been an awful lot of transfer stories and rumours, but not all of them have gone through yet. Uh, The main ones, let's just do it club by club. Arsenal have seen Granatecha, their former captain, leave for Germany, and they have signed Kai Havertz from Chelsea. 
We've been talking about Declan Rice going from West Ham to Arsenal for weeks, but it still hasn't formally happened. Chelsea, we were expecting a clear-out of players, and that is certainly happening with, well, Kai Havertz going to Arsenal. Kante, Koulibaly and Edward Mendy all off to Saudi Arabia. Aspilicueta, long-standing former captain, off to Atletico Madrid. Mason Mount to Manchester United. Kovacek to Manchester City. Ruben Loftus-Cheek to AC Milan. I think that's a little bit of a sad one because he's someone who's been in the Chelsea youth setup all his life and has now suddenly found he's uh, not wanted anymore. Baba Rahman, a Ghanaian player, has gone to Greece and David Fofana, a 20-year-old Ivorian, gone on loan to Berlin. And the only two signings completed so far by Chelsea are Kunku uh, from Leipzig, who is French but Congolese descent, and Nicholas Jackson from Senegal. Liverpool have signed Alexis McAllister, World Cup winner from Brighton, and they've seen Roberto Firmino, James Milner and Naby Keiter leave. Now, Naby Keiter just never seemed quite able to deliver for Liverpool and couldn't hold down a regular place. Shame for him. Manchester United have parted company with two players who've been there for 12 years each. Phil Jones, a defender, played over 160 games but hasn't really played for the last five years. And the long-standing goalkeeper, David De Gea, has left 400 games behind him, but he has made the decision to go. Is Harry Maguire staying or leaving? That's a great question. We don't know yet. Newcastle have signed Sandro Tonali from AC Milan, and they signed an 18-year-old Gambian, Yankuba Minte, but then immediately sent him out on loan uh, to Feyenoord in the way that top clubs do so that he will get a chance to play a bit more than he would if he stayed at Newcastle. And then Forrest have not signed anyone. Remember last close season they signed everyone. But they have released Andre Ayew, I suppose coming towards the end of his career, and Jesse Lingard, such a good player with Manchester United but has really struggled since he left. And then... Tottenham, the big story remains, is Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich or somewhere else or is he staying at Tottenham? Remember that he's got one year left on his contract, which means that if he stays, he can go on a free transfer one year from now. What to this space? Yes, the Harry Kane one is certainly a big piece of the transfer puzzle that uh, is still to be uh, completed. So the three promoter teams for this new season are Burnley, uh, Sheffield United and Luton Town. Uh, What's your assessment uh, of these three, Stuart? Well, we've already talked about Luton Town's remarkable promotion to the Premier League. But they're very much a championship squad and the only two signings they've made so far are that type of player. So I find it very hard to see how they can survive. The other two promoter clubs, Sheffield United and Burnley, have much more experience in the Premier League. And of course, Burnley were relegated one year ago and promoted then in their first year down. Burnley have two African players, Samuel Bastian, a Belgian-born Congolese international, and Lyle Foster from South Africa, but neither of them are regular starters at the moment. Burnley were very dominant in the championship last year, but then they were relegated the previous season. That may be as much an indication of the difference in standard 
between the Championship and the Premier League as an indication of improvement by Burnley. I would like to see them signing one or two established, experienced Premier League players to give them a better chance of staying up. Now, Sheffield United, you may remember, Steve, had the distinction of scoring the first ever goal in the Premier League. That was Brian Dean back in 1992. They've been very inconsistent, and it's only eight years, 2015, since they dropped to League One. That's the third tier of English football. They were promoted in 2019 to the Premier League and the following season were magnificent, finishing 8th. But from 8th in 2020, that was followed by relegation in 2021. The next season they reached the playoffs but didn't come up and this year they finished second place and got an automatic promotion. They have two African players, Ilman Njai, from Senegal, who's 23, he's been at Sheffield United for two years and played in the World Cup for Senegal uh, last year. And Ismela Koulibaly, he's 22 from Mali, not quite broken into the first team yet. Last season he played five cup ties, one league game and got a cap for his country. So of the three, you would say that Burnley are perhaps the best equipped to survive, but we'll have to see. Now, looking at the three relegated clubs, one may wonder whether they have a chance of getting straight back up again, the way Burnley did. All three, interestingly, have new managers. Leicester fired Brenton Rodgers and appointed an Italian, Enzo Moresca. He has no experience of managing in English football, although he played two seasons at West Brom 20 years ago. But of course, the problem with being relegated is you lose your best players like uh, Yuri Tillemans and James Madison, who have left Leicester. They've signed Connor Cody and Harry Winks, but I don't feel very optimistic for Leicester. Leeds have appointed Daniel Farca as their new manager. He's a German, you may remember, five years as manager of Norwich City. I thought he achieved all he could at Norwich, maybe a very good fit for Leeds, but with no new signings, it remains the question of whether the Leeds squad are good enough to be promoted. Then there's Southampton. Having had three managers in the relegation season, they've now appointed Russell Martin, whose managerial experience is two years at Swansea, two years at MK Dons. So far, Southampton have made no significant signings, And, of course, their big question is, can they keep James Ward-Pruss, their star player, 28 years old and been at Southampton since he was a lad? You know, I can't help thinking that Nathan Jones, who was fired after three months by Southampton last year, would have had a lot more experience and knowledge of what it takes to be successful in the Championship than Russell Martin. But then, what do I know? Uh, well, yes, I think a bit of patience uh, would have paid there. Um, so David De Gea leaving Manchester United after such a long time, Stuart, uh, seems to be significant. Yes, he was just 19 when he signed for Manchester United in 2011. He had had two seasons uh, in Madrid with Atletico. And he went on to play over 400 league games, winning the Premier League, the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Europa League with Man U. He was twice voted the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. And during Manchester United's difficult years, he seemed at times to be taking on the opposition single-handed. 45 caps for Spain, but without ever really establishing himself as the number one. 
He was a brilliant shot stopper with his hands and his feet. He seemed to make more saves with his feet than any other goalkeeper. But he was a stay-on-the-line goalkeeper, in contrast to his predecessor, Peter Schmeichel, who used to command the penalty area, coming well off his goal to catch crosses. De Gea was always on the stats for most clean sheets, 15 uh, last season, for example. But he always seemed to have a mistake waiting to happen. More than most top keepers, he seemed to let shots slip through his fingers. In his last month at the club, Manchester United lost 1-0 to West Ham, with De Gea allowing Ben Rama's tame shot to roll under his dive. And perhaps he was slow to react to the Manchester City opening goal in the FA Cup final. He also had a poor record with penalties, going five years, 2016-21, to without saving one. And there was also a question about his basic footballing skills in an era when goalkeepers are expected to be able to take a pass from the defender and give it somewhere else. It's hard to know how to rate him because he said certainly had so many clean sheets and so many great saves, but then there were also the mistakes. And we understand it was his decision to leave and that the club was prepared to offer him an extended contract, albeit on less money than he had previously been on. So end of an era there at Manchester United. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. So the start of the English Premier League is just four weeks away now and a three weeks to go to the Community Shield between Manchester City and Arsenal and clubs are already busy with the pre-season friendlies. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe and from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is... A passion for sport production.